Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's episode. Got a great show for you this week. We're going to be looking a little bit more at Lord of the Rings and answering some of your questions that you've sent in. We also are going to be reviewing the Adam Savage Builder Workshop. That one sounds like it was a lot of fun. We're going to put a video of that up on our social media. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Steve Mailer is going to be on today with his guest, Tom Watts, who is an artist in his own right, a subject matter expert in production. And we'll see what that actually means here up in a little bit. Also, we'd like to invite you to check out our Tech Wednesday blog at TheAnswerPortland.com. Every week we dive into a topic. This week is the iPhone 12, which just released yesterday. Do you need one? And how can you get money from your old phone? Today's news is brought to you by My Gym Sherwood, offering a safe and clean place for kids six weeks to 10 years to learn, play, and get moving. Become a founding member today at MyGym.com slash Sherwood. So what's in the news? Oculus Quest 2 VR released this week. So for anybody that doesn't know, VR is virtual reality. And what the Quest is, is a headset to allow you to experience VR. And this new system is actually looking to be kind of cool. We just got our samples in and we're just getting them tried out. We're going to be reviewing it next week. And uh, uh, Jeremy and Gretchen, I know you are. Bill, you're with us. You're going to be uh, reviewing yours as well. So... um Basically, what this does is it puts you in an alternate environment, and uh, we had the ability to play with another version of this from Oculus called the Rift that came out a couple of years ago, and it did its job pretty well, but this new version doesn't have to plug into a computer, so you don't have tethers. You can, and I know one of the first things, Bill, you discovered is that the uh, tether, if you want to buy it, is something that you're going to have to save up for. Well, yeah. I mean, the tether they want to sell you is... Uh, what is it? Fifteen feet, five meters. Right. Uh, it's about eighty dollars on their site listed. Of course, it says it's fiber optic. A lot of that has to do with uh, signal loss and power loss over USB three, which I really didn't realize was that short a distance. Um, most of the time, even with the new stuff, they only consider it to be able to go about three meters. Right. So, so they say this long one, so you have plenty of room to get in the middle of your room, you know? Yeah. And that makes makes sense for something like this. But I think first we're going to try it out with the self-contained system. And if you do use the tether, you have to have a computer capable of outputting the right kind of 3D graphics and some stuff like that. So one of the nice things is this does lower the barrier to entry because those computers can run you $1,500 or more. And since you can use it self-contained, it makes it a lot easier to do. Retail price is $299 with the uh, 64 gigs, $399 with the 256. So we'll be talking about this next week. Robots can clean your house with AI. Yeah, this reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where they had AI and uh, it did a lot more than clean the house. Uh, for anybody that's seen it, you'll make the connection there. But what, this is actually something that's very interesting because it's a direction where robotics is going. You can already get this with a Roomba vacuum where you can ask your smart speaker to tell the vacuum to go vacuum the hallway and it will, and it knows what that means and what it is and that kind of thing. So a lot of the chores are becoming easier, I think. I'm not <laughs> sure what the trade-off is on maintaining the equipment to do this and the cost, but uh, it is definitely something that's becoming a thing, something that's out there. If you have used AI for house cleaning, let us know. I'd love to talk to somebody about this and see how this really works, not what the publisher says, but in the real world. Guess what? This is National Sasquatch Week. Yes, this is a big deal. Every year we have this. Uh, 
Normally, they have some in-person stuff. This week, it's gone virtual. But I bet you didn't know there's actually a North American Bigfoot Center. No. It's, it's in Boring, Oregon, off Highway 26. Okay. And um, this is something that's been out there for a long time, and it looks at all the different things on finding Bigfoot, uh, the lore that goes along with it, and a number of other things. Uh, originally, this was published on October 20th of 1967, which is where the date comes from. Uh, and uh, it definitely is, def- you know, they, they call him the world's best hide-and-seek champion. And I think he's <laughs> holding to that uh, that characterization. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a tie between him and Nessie. Yeah, t- definitely a tie between him and Nessie. Wait, what, what, what is it? Is uh, the skunk ape included in this or just Bigfoot? Uh, I, you know, I think skunk apes are the same kind of creature along with the Yeti. Well, yeah, but I mean, we only consider like the Sasquatch here on the West Coast and, you know, it's skunk ape over in the swamp. Yeah. And then, you know, that begs the question, when's the lizard man and the Jersey Devil week? <laughs> well, this well they, isn't, this they might have their own. They might have their own week. Yeah. See, since the Jersey Devil isn't on the West Coast, maybe there's an East Coast time where it's Jersey Devil week. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Okay, what's <laughs> next? I'm sorry. We're, let's move on. That, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Justice Department sues Google for antitrust violations. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past and kind of knew it was coming, but they've actually filed a case. Uh, There's a lot of different directions this could go, but one of the biggest things is is Google has been, or at least allegedly been, engaging in some practices even with Apple computers. So that goes to show how big of a company this is to require them to have Google as the default search on Safari, certainly on Android devices. Apparently, they have a thing in there where for the cell phone carriers, if they sell an Android phone, they get a, a essentially a kickback or an agreement. I, they don't use the word kickback, but it, uh, an agreement where they get money for each device that's sold. And what Google has been able to do is say, well, if you switch them off of our search, then you actually have to pay that money back. So now the cell phone carriers can never switch because they would have this huge bill. So that's all being reviewed. One of the things that they think is going to come out of this is very much the possibility that Chrome, the browser Chrome, may spin off and be its own company. Certainly some things with the advertising divisions uh, being able to deal with this. I don't know. I look at it. It's a good thing and a bad thing. There's a lot that Google has done, but on the same token, it does allow for one company to control most of what we see on the internet. And there are a lot of ways that that could go wrong. So we'll have to see what the Justice Department actually does here. But uh, it's officially a thing now where they're going out and... uh, litigating this, and we'll see what they end up coming up with. Okay, this one makes me mad. Malware disguises itself as a Windows update. Yeah, what could go wrong here? Um, Okay, so explain this. So what this is, well, first of all, what malware is, is software that tries to get on your computer or your network and uh, make it do things that you don't want it to do, usually stealing personal information or uh, denial of service where you can't use the computer, that type of thing. Uh, viruses and malware are in the same arena, but are different. A virus is just designed to destroy. Malware can do other things. Um, they've had problems with this, uh, what they call ransomware, which is a version of malware where it'll lock you out of your computer and encrypt everything. And then you have to send them money to get it to supposedly unencrypt. And that obviously doesn't always work. But uh, you can send the money, that works. But the actually getting your data back is uh, questionable. And what they're trying to do here with this malware, uh, Emotit, is how I believe it's pronounced. It's sent in emails that look like there's something that uh, you would want to do. The disguising itself as an update is click on this link to run the update for Windows 10. And then it opens up an attachment that uh, what it does is it'll ask you to allow for certain functions. 
And in thinking that it's actually a legitimate update, you would give it to them and then it's able to install it and do all this stuff on your computer. So it's just very important to look at this and kind of know if you get an email that doesn't seem right uh, or even one that does seem right, be very cautious. And the updates on Windows 10, just so everybody knows, are handled automatically as long as you have updates turned on. You would never actually get an email with an update. So this is something that if you do see this, you know that it's outside of anything that's legit. So warn your kids and your seniors. Yeah. And this is the big thing is people that may not be as experienced with the computer fall victim to this a lot more. And like you say, the kids, especially the seniors, and uh, it's just something, let, let everybody know, be careful. Just don't open links and emails unless you know who they're from. And even in that, be cautious. I'm just glad this isn't like the old, that last one we had where it actually did come through as a Windows update. Yes. Like, uh, it was on 7 or XP, but I it was on. It was on 7. Uh, they somehow hacked into the distribution system. And that's not one that you can really avoid because it just started spinning it out. Now, my understanding is Microsoft is locked down on that. We haven't seen a problem okay. like that since then, knock on wood. But, uh, you know, it's just there are some things that you can't avoid, but the ones that you can will make your life easier. Flippy Robot, fast food cook on sale for $30,000. Yeah, you know, this is for the commercial environment, but I think I might need this in my kitchen. <laughs> so there's a couple of different iterations of this, and it's something that is now being marketed to fast food. Uh, White Castle, the burger chain from back east, is starting to use them. Uh, there's oh. a chain down in California. And basically what it is, is it's a robotic arm that is uh, connects to the rail above where your burgers are made and your fries are made and all that kind of stuff. And is capable of putting the burger on, flipping it over, doing the fries, doing the hot wings, all that different kind of stuff. And uh, it's really been kind of being adopted for a couple of reasons is that it's a step to automation where you don't have to hire somebody. So for the bigger chains, that is helpful, especially as things are running a little slower now with COVID-19. But the other side of it, too, also with COVID is the idea that you have less human interaction with your food. So those are all things that are being used to market this. And I think we're going to see stuff like this a lot more. Again, $30,000, they expect the price to come down eventually. But for right now, that's where it's at. And uh, apparently the interest is, is incredible for getting these. Did you know that you can add user-friendly 2.0 to your smart speaker? Add it to your Amazon Alexa flash briefing by adding the user-friendly 2.0 skill. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. Our first interview is going to be another look at Lord of the Rings. Jeremy, Gretchen, Bill, welcome. Hey. Hello. So we've been, you know, kind of going through this a little bit in the past and gone through some different sections. We actually have gotten some listener questions. I'm going to bring one at the end of the interview today. But what have you got for us? Well, um... Right now, we're, we're uh, continuing with our discussion about Lord of the Rings, the books, and comparing them to what we're seeing visually on film. And that would also include um, visually, uh, like in cartoons. So feel free to pop in. Um, so right now, I'm to the point where in the books, where I'm, I'm discovering in the books, Frodo is a lot bolder than he is in the, in the films. And he seems 
more aware of the task before him, and he really seems to take charge of Gollum. Like, he almost takes him under his wing, like, you are my servant, I have bound you into this agreement using the ring, and um, you're going to do what I tell you to. And there's an agreement that when they reach a certain point, that they'll part ways. But he really seems to take charge of him. While in the movie, I feel like Frodo is, I don't know, how would you say, does he, does he seem like he's more um, fragile? He seems a little bit more fragile in the movies, but he's, he's determined to do it. But he's not really aware of how much it's going to cost him to actually accomplish the task. Yeah, and it seems like in the book, he's aware that they may not return. Um, now, the, I've also noticed that throughout the books, I'm, I'm reading along and something will pop out. It's, there's dialogue that is directly out of the book that's been put into the movies, mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. Well, that's and, always nice. But it, it's not always in the place where you expect it. Oh. So they must have spent like probably months, maybe, maybe years working on this, trying to decide uh, what sections to add and what parts of dialogue to include. Um, there's um, in the story. Let's see. Come here. I'll look at my notes. Um, the the song at the Forbidden Pool comes from another part of the book. It doesn't happen when they're uh, at the Forbidden Pool, where uh, Faramir and the men of Gondor, you know, uh, get angry that that uh, Gollum is, is swimming in the pool, and, yeah, and, and messing around. This song that he sings in that scene is in an earlier part. And it's kind of amusing. <laughs> and the, speaking of Faramir in general, Faramir's a, a different person. And uh, he's still, he's still Faramir's brother. And he's still the, you know, the younger son. But he is more thoughtful, more mindful. He's really an impressive person. And he doesn't get trapped in that I want the ring situation like Boromir. He doesn't have that happen at all. And as a matter of fact, he actually um, assists them uh, with food before they leave, and he doesn't try to keep them from leaving. And so that was something else that in the yeah. book, I, I, I really like Faramir. And um, yeah, any ideas on your... And the scene in the in the movie where they're in uh, Osgiliath and then Sam says, we're not even supposed to be here. That whole stuff, you know, there isn't any of that. Yeah. That, that, the whole scene with the, with the, with the ring wraith coming down, you yeah, know, and, and Frodo beast. about to put the ring on his finger and looking all freaked out. And that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and Faramir did not drag them there. Yeah, uh, exactly. Faramir was a lot more thoughtful and um, he's really actually kind of a wise person. He even gives, uh, Frodo advice and he says, you know, I would not, um, I wouldn't trust Gollum, but, uh, you've, you've made a promise and you have something that you need to do and I'm going to let you go. And he provides them with food and water and even some advice. Don't drink the water from a certain river because, um, it's obviously bad. It would make them sick. So they know that he helps them. Cool. So, yeah, that sounds interesting. So I have a listener question, and this came in from a couple of weeks ago when you were talking about a previous part of The Lord of the Rings, and it has to do with the technology. It's from a lady named Debbie, and she says she remembers seeing something called Rotoscope or a Rotoscope version of Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. What is Rotoscope? What is the version of The Lord of the Rings, and what is she talking about? 
Well, that's the first animated version that came out back in 78. It was made by United Artists. Is this the one with the song where the orcs sing, we don't want to go to war today? No, that's the third one. That's oh. that's the second Ralph Bakshi movie. Oh, okay. The first one is the is the Lord of the Rings with Ralph Bakshi. Then they did the um, Two Towers version, but they did that as a rotoscope, which is basically they took, they filmed it. And then they projected the, each film cell by by itself onto another a piece of film, and someone painted it. Oh, that's oh, interesting. Why? Yeah, it, wow. it's an no, old that's a lot of work for that animation. Yeah, um, like uh, the way they do it is they would record videotape someone and do this so that you had the movement correctly. It looked more natural. They did this with Snow White. Yeah, when she yeah. was dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. They also yeah. did it with Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. And a couple of, and what was it, Cool World? And there was a couple others. A Wizards, which was an early Ralph Bakshi. But yeah, it's an earlier version that covers, uh, basically it starts with them talking about when Smeagol found it, then going to Bilbo. And then it basically ends about the time when the five are running towards uh, Edoras and King Theoden is being persuaded by Gandalf. So it kind of stops about there and mm-hmm. the other movies take off. I don't think I've ever seen that one. That would no. be worth looking at. I didn't into. even know about it, to be you honest. So this would be really, really cool to look at. I, you know, it is amazing to think about the technology and how things have changed. I didn't even know there was an animated version of Lord of the Rings. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's really cool. All right, well, we'll pick up with this in coming weeks and talk a little bit more about Lord of the Rings. Coming up later on this show, we're going to have a guest named Tom Watts who is a real artist in his own right. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Next week, we're going to be reviewing the Quest 2. We've been kind of leading up to us. We have them now, so it's going to be fun to kind of look at them. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Going to have a discussion today about a virtual workshop that Jeremy got to do. So there's actually some stuff going on there. It's all on the internet. But hey, you know, it's better until we can get it back to have something going on. Jeremy, tell us about what you attended. Okay, this was a uh, virtuals makers workshop with Adam Savage uh, for the Silicon Comic Con event that's going to be held next year, hopefully. So uh, basically what is is a... A uh, project that Adam Savage sends you uh, uh, an Alexa Show 8 uh, box of pre-cut cardboard for the mask, uh, or helmet, actually is what it is, a hat, a mask, uh, so that you can go out in public with the logo on it, <laughs> and uh, a bottle, or sorry, a can of Monster. The that Monster sounds so far really like, good, by the way. Yes, yeah, it, it sounds like I've never had that before. Best part here. So, uh, all right. Yeah, so, so, so how did it work? It's basically a, a logged in watching Adam Savage video, like you know, anything online, but it, he was uh, making this helmet. He's using a, a, a hot glue gun and uh, periodically looking at comments scrolling across the side of the screen and interacting, basically interacting with us without us actually being there. And so we were all, you know, following along like, okay, take this part and glue this part together and take this part and glue this part together. And it was actually really kind of cool watching this, this, you know, 
assemblage of flat pieces of cardboard that it had been laser cut. You know, you're like folding and gluing and folding and gluing and folding and gluing, and it turns into a helmet. And he's trying to give you advice as to how to do this and make it work as easily as possible. Right. Now, the, the biggest problem was that cardboard and hot glue are apparently not super compatible. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I did burn my fingers a little bit trying to get the glue to hold. Um, but Adam Savage wants us to finish our helmets by Halloween and share photos. And he will then have a mini contest where we get a prize for the best three. Okay, now that sounds like a lot of fun. So is this something people can still do, or is it if you missed out, you missed out? Um, now, you can watch, you can go uh, online, and I think you can watch this. As far as I know, it's been shared out as a, a just a regular streaming event. But um, you you had to have registered before to get all the supplies. Okay, okay. See, I, I think it's it's been shared out as a as a viewable event. And it probably will be shared out again later uh, when they set it up for the Alexa shows. Okay. So talk about the Alexa show part of it. Okay. Um, basically, it's an Alexa show, but it wasn't actually used. Okay. So that's interesting. So you get the device, but there's uh, there wasn't really a need for it. But they're going to have it. I don't think they were able to connect the you know a couple hundred people to with the device to a specific location. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. So they're going to they're going to they're going to send us an email when it's ready for us to try and watch it on the Alexa show later. Okay. All right, so let's find the online link and put that out on our social media so everybody can see what this is and I'm sure if this is successful he'll be doing more. So we'll kind of watch it and keep on top of that. Now, my understanding you've got the mini costume contest or mini helmet costume contest as it were this year for Halloween. But isn't there a piece of this where you're actually I think you mentioned it at the very beginning of the interview bringing it to the Silicon next year or Silicon Valley Comic Con, as it was uh, called before. How is that actually going to work? Well, that's what we don't know yet, but we're going to be, he, he invited us all to bring our, co- our our helmets to the event next year. If it's held, we're all going to bring our helmets and then there'll be another, co- another contest at the event. So this is, this one is going to be for Halloween. It's if you finish it for Halloween, you can then submit it for uh, a contest. Okay, so it's basically both entries, once virtual and then hopefully one that's in person yeah. eventually when we get down there. And I certainly hope that by this time next year, we're able to do that again. Me too. So, uh, so it sounds like it was a lot of fun. And you said working with the cardboard, you burnt your fingers a little bit. But uh, Just a touch. outside of that, uh, it sounds like it worked out pretty well. What do you think? Did, did it come out okay? Did you get a good one? I think mine turned out all right. Um, I have a couple of ideas about how I'm going to finish it for the uh, for Halloween. And if that doesn't work out, then I'm definitely going to have it finished for um, the convention next year. But uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it, to making it perfect and painted and sculpted so you don't see all the weird cardboard lines and everything. All right. I look forward to that. When you get that done, you'll have to share some pictures with us, too. Of course. So that we can see what it actually is. All right. So a work in progress. It sounds like an interesting thing. Definitely something worth watching. Check out One User Friendly on Twitter or Facebook for a link. We will have that up there. Also, let us know what you want to hear. 503-766-6264 is our number. Let us know your topics, your questions. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest, Tom Watts. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I'm talking today with a buddy that I have had the pleasure and privilege of working with for probably the last, I'd say about three and a half, four years. We met when I was working as an audiovisual technician at the Peppermill Resort Casino here in Reno. And there's just some people that you, you come across that surprise you by just how good they are at what they do when it comes to audio, video, anything media. And my guest today is just one of those people. His name is Tom Watts. Interesting last name, considering all the electronics of audio and video. But Tom, welcome to User Friendly. Good morning, Steve. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for your kind discussion. <laughs> well, I meant every word of it. I really did. And in all, in all sincerity, it's like you're you're one of those people who just kind of walks into a room, just kind of knows what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. Because the scale of some of the things that we did at the Pepper Mill were not small. I mean, these were full-fledged, large 4,000, 5,000 people concerts with multiple cameras, camera cranes, lighting. I mean, it, these were real true concerts that we were doing together. We had some pretty big productions there, and the Pepper Mill was never afraid to pull out all the stops to make a show go. You know, they really aren't. And, you know, and so in getting to know you, and I, I mean, because of how we work together, I was thinking, well, God, this guy must have been doing this for you know, forever, and, you know, went to school for it, whatever. And, and I was surprised to learn that your background wasn't video. It was not. <laughs> I started out as a lighting designer. A lighting um, designer. School for lighting. Yes. And technical theater. Okay. And then about the time that I met you was when I fell into video production. Okay. So you completely fooled me because I, I figured, <laughs> I'd figured you'd been doing this for decades like me. And that wasn't true. So you, you mentioned lighting design. So you were actually, you were an instructor, right? I was. I uh, taught the lighting design course at Santa Rosa Junior College. Okay. And I also taught a uh, live stage production class with them, basically teaching uh, new theater students how to build and run a theater production. Wow. So was that like set design? Was it like lighting, you know, basically setting up a lighting theme for how you were going to light a stage? That kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, lighting design, so it was taking the students through every facet of the lighting design process, from wow. the time you get your script until your closing night show production. Having that background, when you're looking at the way you light something for like a stage play versus how you light something for something that's being shot on f for film or television, they are absolutely completely different animals, aren't they? 100% different. Um, and it was interesting. Yeah, I'm sorry. You think it's pretty no, much yeah. the same? No, it's absolutely different. Okay, that, that was my thinking. Is that yeah. it's they're they're one's an apple, one's an orange. Correct. Okay. So, because um, I haven't done a ton of theater work, but I've done enough to understand that it's you know a lot of it is from an audience perspective that's totally different. You know, you're the the cameras are very subtle, and they can. They're not going to be as sensitive as the human eye. So just from that perspective, the way you might light something for the screen versus the stage is going to be different just from that physical perspective. So, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's amazing. That's an art form in and of itself. So the fact that you had that as a background, how has that served you when it, when it came to lighting something for the screen? So uh, for a theater standpoint, I would light things with the belief that less is more. 
Okay. And the the darker and the moodier, depending on the show, you could make a set, or the the less light you could use, the better off, because you can always build. Right. But coming from a video standpoint, I, you know, you couldn't pump enough light onto a set. Okay. Yeah. But the thing that I really took from theater lighting design was in transitions. So when you're building uh, a lighting design for a play, you have to move in and out of lighting cues. Okay. And you can do that in different ways, and you want to make it interesting to the eye when you transfer from one scene to the other. Okay. And I took that technique into my camera calling. So instead oh. of just a strict cut or a strict dissolve between two cameras, I found it was a little more interesting to have cameras do some kind of unique movement coming in and out of shots. I love that. Oh, my God. That's absolutely okay. I totally get that. In fact, we did a lot of that on concerts where the, yeah. the way that you would transition out of one shot perspective to another was a camera move because I remember you telling me to do certain things with the camera. It's like, well, why does he want me to do that? And then when I'd see it on the screen, because we were doing IMAG, so you, you saw yeah. everything yep. from the audience perspective and said, okay, that made total sense. And wow, that's a really interesting, th- interesting way of approaching that. I like that. So how did you, how did you fall into the video? Uh, well, I moved back to Reno from the Bay Area in, I think, 2014, and I applied for a job at the Pepper Mill. Okay. Um, I, I told the director, Gary Goodman, at the time that, you know, I had a, a pretty bad background in theater um, as a lighting designer, but he said they already had a pretty talented, skilled, full-time lighting guy, but they did have a position open for a video director. I'll be darned. And I explained that I hadn't done hardly any video other than run a camera for a few events, but... I'd give it a shot, and, <laughs> and luckily for me, he wow. hired me. Wow, and because okay, that's amazing. Um, I mean, that's quite a gamble when you're when you're talking about stuff the the scale of things that we did there. That's a pretty big gamble. Sure. Wow. Well, you sure came through on that because, um, from my perspective, it looked like you had been that was that was your background and that you'd been doing it forever. So, in terms of when you plan, like some of the concerts that we plan for, you know, where where do you start in terms of how you design, how it's going to look, the, you know, maybe the angles that you shoot from, how you're going to put something together for a large 5,000-seat IMAG crowd? I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not, and it all comes down to the production itself. Um, first and foremost, the requirements of the client. We used to do a lot of Chinese concerts, yes. and they'd come in with a pretty straightforward idea of what they wanted to see, and it was largely based around their graphics content. Okay. Because the, the big LED wall behind their stage is the showpiece of their event, and they want to feature that. Yep. Okay. That and makes so sense. You have to, first and foremost, you know, set your switcher up so that you can get to that graphics, and you need to position your cameras so that if you're going to show your lead singer on the LED wall, you're not going to have a huge black hole of video feedback yes. running into infinity. Yeah. So again, it's, you need a good couple side camera shots, and then right. you always position one camera out at front of house with a straight shot to cut to when you need it. Wow. So I know with the pandemic, a lot of things have shut down for a lot of people. Um, I know productions that I've been involved with have really come to a grinding halt. So it's hard to tell where things are right now, but I just know that someone with your talent, I know you're going to keep going and doing a lot of really great things, and I hope to work with you again in the future, because that was always really fun for me. 
So, cause I know that you, since I know you're not with the pepper mill anymore and you're kind of going on to your own production company and I'm expecting some pretty, pretty big things from you, quite frankly. So hopefully when this pandemic eases down, you know, we'll get into a groove where we're doing stuff together again. Well, Tom, I, I sure enjoyed having you on the show today here at User Friendly. It's always fun catching up with friends and I wish you all the best. And uh, I thank you for being on the show with me today. Steve, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Bill, Jeremy and Gretchen, guys, take it back to the studio. Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Oh, Jeremy, I think the Adam Savage uh, Builder Workshop sounded like a lot of fun. It's cool. I can share the link with you, I think. Yeah, or- well, we'll send it out on our social media so everybody can take a look at it, especially if you can see the video. But uh, it, no, it's really cool. Next week, we are going to be looking at the uh, virtual cosplay contest from the New York Comic Con. So uh, cool. we'll get to talk about that and see who the champions are this year. And you know, with everything going virtual, and it's just something I like to bring up every once in a while, is we are all doing the ultimate of social distancing here, that we're actually all about 600 miles apart. At least. Mm-hmm. At least. And, um, you know, we haven't been able to really be in studio since the beginning of the year. I do miss that. But like everything else, we're uh, working remotely. Uh, so it's actually great. Uh, we do have some challenges. Uh, the uh, lawnmower every so often, although it's getting later in the year. Uh, that seems to be less. But yeah, you know, it's just, I think everybody's experiencing this type of thing. It's a new normal. And uh, figuring out how to make things work has been a big part of user-friendly as well as everything else. Another question I want to circle back to, Bill, this is something we talked a little bit about last week, and it's generated a lot of interest, is VPNs. Yeah. So we kind of left on a weird half note last time, you know, asking me, like, what would I use one for? And, you know, the honest truth is I'd use it basically so I could check into uh, restricted content from other areas, you know, using Netflix or Hulu or something like that. So I can watch stuff that's allowed to be seen in Great Britain, but not in America, that kind of stuff. You know, there's those kind of region lock things. But the truth is, is getting back to that, we were kind of talking about like there being issues. And a lot of that has to do is, yeah, your VPN, the one you might sign up for, might not keep any of your information. But there's still that metadata of it knows your IP address and it knows the IP address of what you're contacting. So, you know, is, is there really anonymity or things like that? Yes and no. Is it really protecting stuff? Well, everything's already encrypted by HTTPS security. And, you know, I mean, it, it really comes down to, you know, a, thir- a first world country can definitely track what you're still doing by just calculating, well, you're accessing something from your computer at this time and this a- website's being accessed. So... So Big Brother is still out there any way you look at it. Yeah. So what they're selling is, you know, all this anonymity and surfing the web safely and stuff like that. The reality comes down to is VPNs really are just for you to be more secure connecting to, you know, your business, your job uh, directly, safely that way. It, it, it doesn't change from that original non-consumer thing, really. Right. right. So let me ask you this question just straight out. Outside of uh, getting around region lock, which, by the way, user-friendly makes, takes no standpoint on the legality of that, just something you can do. But would you recommend this? Do you think people need these third-party VPNs? If you have a job like working from home to handle something for your job, which we're all working from home, a lot of us, 
if your company says to use it, use it. But that's up to your security and stuff for your business and yourselves. Right. If I had a home server, I would be using one to connect to it if I was a distance away and it had, you know, sensitive information on it. No right. question asked there. But And of course, that you don't have to subscribe to. So anyway, that's our time for this week. Until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.